The spin is supported by NatWest. Why? Because NatWest loves cricket. The skills it teaches and the communities it creates and want it to be easy for everyone to get involved. To find out about how NatWest is helping make cricket open to all, search NatWest Cricket. It's the spin! People keep telling me England are already in the semi-finals and I just wish they'd stop it because the more that England win, the more nervous I get. Everyone else sees record-breaking batting. All I can see is ineffective middle-order bowling and dropped catches. Am I the only one who feels like this? I think I'm basically using this podcast as therapy. So, joining me to talk through my World Cup issues today, we've got two comedians, Tez Ilias, who can't have been happy with the way India dominated Pakistan on Sunday, and Andy Parsons. You'll know him from Mock the Week and Radio 4, but what you probably don't know is how much of a cricket fan he is. But an even bigger cricket fan is Aussie journalist Adam Collins, who once personally purchased the radio rights to an Australia series and broadcast it himself. There's a lot to talk about today, so let's get cracking. It's the spin! Welcome to the spin. It's been raining again, raining sixes. Owen Morgan hit a world record number of them in his innings against Afghanistan. And now I never want to hear the word downtown again. In other news, James Vince made a pretty 20. Who saw that coming? And we'll ask which member of the England squad would get your vote for Prime Minister. It's the spin! I'm Emma John and this is The Spin from The Guardian, the Shakib Al-Hassan of cricket podcasts. World class, informed and hugely underrated. And if you're a regular listener, you'll know that's probably not the last time we'll mention the Bangladesh all-rounder today. We really can't help ourselves. Sitting around the boundary of our cricket match on our oval table today, Andy is at deep extra cover, Adam is fielding at long off, Tez is down at long on, I'm at deep mid-wicket and my framed photo of Michael Atherton is at fine leg today, along with the chair we're still keeping warm for him. As ever, we've a nice loosener for our guests before we get to the testing stuff. And it's simply this. What's the best game of cricket you've ever been to? Andy, let's start with you. Well, I'm just enjoying the picture of Michael Atherton, a particularly sweaty Michael Atherton when I, you know, yeah, I'm enjoying it. Your, your talk of the chair is actually a lie. There is no chair there for him. Oh, my goodness. We've forgotten the chair. Somebody get the chair. And, and he was just about to turn up and he saw there was no chair and he turned away and he's gone. The best game of cricket I have ever been to was the 2011 Ashes in Australia in Melbourne. And it's not just because I have an Aussie on my right-hand side. The first day's play, well, I think we had tickets for at least three of the five days, but the first day's play, all of the Australians were out. And then Andrew Strauss came in and he and presumably Mr Cook, although my memory fails me, it must have been Cookie. Adam's um, nodding. Scored all of the runs that Australia had scored and more without losing any wickets. So the first day of a test match, Australia all out, all 10 wickets, and we surpassed their total without losing anybody. In, in one day? In one day. Wow. In one and a half sessions. We call that All That 98 Day. We've got a few of these in Australian cricket. We've got All That 98 Day, which was Boxing Day 2010. All That 47 Day at Cape Town later that year. All That 60, which was at Trent Bridge in 2015 when Stuart Broad completed his Ashes trilogy. And then there was All That 80 in Hobart a couple of years later. So we have these kind of moments 
that punctuate Australia's collapse. May over there the last be few one years. coming up very <laughs> shortly. <laughs> Have you been at all of them, Adam? I've been at three of the four of them. I wasn't at Cape Town. I was at the other three. I was there for all that '98 in, in a watching drinking capacity, not in a work capacity. Just, the others, just for my own personal enjoyment, which one of them was the biggest kick in the pants? The best one in terms of the spectacle was Trent Bridge Day One. Remember that that Test match was built up as whoever wins at Nottingham will win the urn, that type of thing. Jimmy Anderson not playing. Stuart Broad takes the new ball with Mark Wood and. I think it was 25 balls later, Broad had a Fifa, finished with eight for 15 in one of the most sort of spectacular collapses in modern memory. I was sitting front row of the press box for that, so unforgettable. Arguably the best place to sit, the front row of the press box, because if you don't want to be at the back, do you necessarily? Everybody turning around having a go at you, at least with the front row, you can just look out. (laughs) Oh, they still did, don't worry, and I did too. I feel bad making you uh, relive these terrible memories. What what about your best game? Well, look, the best game I've been to and the best response I've seen was actually an Australian loss as well. At Dhaka, a couple of years ago when Bangladesh beat Australia in a test match for the first time. It was roughly a 20 or 30 run victory, so a hard-fought win for Bangladesh, but the response was unbelievable. They filed into the stadium, the crowd, the Prime Minister was on the field crying at the end of the game. I think we were all like quite affected by the whole thing, and I've become an advocate for Bangladeshi cricket ever since. <gasps> Isn't that wonderful? An Australian saying a defeat was his best game he's ever been to. I've enjoyed that immensely. I'm a globalist. I'm I, I should be Googling that game when I get home. <laughs> Uh, and clearly that means we're definitely going to have more mentions of Shaqib later. Um, Tez, what Hello. about you? Hi. My favourite game that I've ever been to was the first test of Pakistan versus England two years ago. Miss Balhak came out to bat and scored a century and then did some press-ups in front of the, the Lord stand and that was incredible. I actually went because I wanted to see Mohammed Amir ball but then Pakistan ended up batting and I was very nervous because you know Pakistan are famous for a collapse. A bit like the ones that you were mentioning. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, they were, they were, and you know, yeah, Yunus Khan at one end and Miss Band at the other end. And he's got, yeah, he's made his century. For someone who bats quite slow, I was, I was glad that he was able to make it on day one. And then, yeah, I got to see him do those famous press ups, which really annoyed Stuart Broad and Jimmy Anderson. <laughs> it's so a great suggestion. Very happy. That is the best test match of the last 10 years. So it's a great call. Mm. Uh, all the way to the bitter end, that one. I've noticed a lot of press ups being done in the field in this World Cup, by the way. I definitely saw, I think. Andre Russell doing them uh, yesterday. Is it because everybody's got a slight niggle and they're just trying to stretch out stretch that back? Out. I think Bruce Oxenford, mm. the umpire, did some today on the boundary as fourth umpire. I, I did particularly enjoy the Afghanistani captain doing uh, his little, showing his arms and the, the, the big muscles, the guns. Yes, Gulbuddin oh. Naib's biceps are potentially the most frightening thing in this tournament. Would you not are. like to see him and Sheldon Cottrell in the same side for like an IPL and one of them bowls and one of them catches and then one of them shows <laughs> their guns and the other one salutes. I think that would be a marvellous moment in world cricket. That would be glorious. Let's talk about today's game. England got off to their slowest start in recent times and lost four wickets in the final four overs, but that may be burying the lead a little. Captain Owen Morgan didn't seem at all troubled by his worrisome back as he smashed the ball to all parts of Old Trafford, scoring 148 off only 71 balls in England's highest World Cup score. Afghanistan stuck around for a stoical 50 overs, but were ultimately beaten by 150 runs. Was it an enjoyable game to watch? I mean, it was entertaining when Owen was batting, wasn't it, Adam? I think most interestingly, Owen was in the sick bay as of yesterday. He wasn't even sure he'd play to get off his bed, able to sit down for the first time in a couple of days. He did the press conference standing up on Friday, such was his discomfort. And presumably with an injection or two, walk out there. Well, he's the first player ever to hit 17 sixes in an international game. He made 100 runs in sixes, 102 to be precise. Uh, Went at, you know, 148 off 71 balls. Some of them were 
gigantic into that amazing temporary stand at Old Trafford. I mean, in a, in a way, I'm, I'm upset that he ultimately fell in the, I think it was the 45th over. He should have made 200, and he would have had he continued in until 50 overs. So. I'm now disappointed he scored 46 from things that weren't sixes. I mean. Yeah. <laughs> But he was obviously not keen to run between the wicket. I think the back, you know, he thought, well, just if I give it one whack and then we'll just, uh, we'll, you know, saunter through and then it'll be fine. It does kind of mean that we're not going to remember anybody else's performance in that game, doesn't it? Well, uh, Johnny well, Best will be happy about the two drop catches if we don't remember that. Were there any other notable performances today? Well, Joe Root had a, had a pretty good game too. Yeah, but against Afghanistan, isn't it? <laughs> Like, like your route scoring 80 off 80 balls against Afghanistan is not going to make it in his autobiography. Even in this World Cup, he's yeah. achieved one or two other things. He right. got his man of the match at the last game, didn't he? Well, you know, don't you worry too much. I was worried that basically Sky aren't actually going to be able to show all of Morgan's sixes in their highlights package because on their bite-sized highlights, they only use 25 balls per innings and England hit 25 sixes. And lost 20, six wickets. So we're 20, going to have to just... 20, 25 balls, just be like, and six people got out. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then Joffre Archer just hitting the tail end on the head. It's the, the last So unnecessary. <laughs> that happened just before we sat down to record and we all kind of looked at that and just went, oh, what was that for? Shocking, shocking end. And not only was it a tail ender, it was their very young wicketkeeper, Ikram, who has literally, he just flew in like a game ago. He was 18 years old. Yesterday he was herding goats and today he's just... He's just got hit on the head for no reason. Flying in for the event, batting number 10, hit on the head by Joffre Archer from the last and the game, And the game was Thanks done. Thanks for coming. The <laughs> game was done half a day ago. Is there anything else we should take from this game? I mean, I think we should... England are bullies. <laughs> <laughs> Mo and Ali's runs. Uh, so he'd been out of runs for... Oh, gosh, feels like a long time now. I know that, uh, you know, it was more or less junk time by the time he came in, but 31 not out off nine deliveries will fill him with confidence after missing two games out of the side. It, will it fill him with confidence? What he knows is when he comes in late in the order and we've got a stack of runs, yeah. he can belt it to all places. That's what, true. What he can't necessarily do is create an innings when we're struggling. But that's cricket, isn't it, in terms of the psychology of cricketers, just seeing red ink it's next not, to his name. It's the psychology of mowing alley. Because yeah, <laughs> sometimes you need him to score runs against Pakistan, for example, and he's like, nah, not, not today. I mean, we've got to be nice about Moeen today. It is his birthday. What? Why? Why, why? You know, let's, you know, let's, okay, it's Voldemort's birthday. Why do we have to be nice about Voldemort? I'm not trying to compare Moeen Ali to Voldemort, but I'm just saying the fact that it's his birthday doesn't mean we have to be nice to him. He's no, also writing a lovely column for The Guardian each week. He is. That's the, another reason <laughs> well, that, why we've no, got to be a, nice to him. That's a very good reason to be nice to him, obviously. <laughs> I can't believe we're getting stuck into Moeen Ali when James Vince hit that very beautiful looking 26, which is once again proof that James Vince is very good if the man you want is the man who hits a beautiful looking 26. It's his calling card, isn't it? He hasn't got a half century in this form of the game for England. He didn't get caught in the cordon though, so that's an advance. Normally he's caught somewhere between the wicketkeeper and gully, but he was caught around the corner at fine leg today. But it the problem the does sec- persist. Yeah, I mean, and it was the second pull that he'd mistimed. He'd actually been dropped about five runs earlier as well. What else can we take from that game? Afghanistan's fielding was pretty woeful. Um, Afghanistan probably won't make the semi-finals of the World Cup. <laughs> I think that's a safe takeaway. Wow, that is some hard-hitting analysis. Yeah. I'm going to put my neck out and say that. <laughs> I'm, I'm with I'm with Tez on this one, but uh, the Afghan president has gone up in a lot of people's estimation. The fact that he showed up, then realised it wasn't necessarily the game to spend too long at, and uh, left after only a few overs. <laughs> they did bet out their overs, though. I mean, it, it's steady progress. If I had my way, there'd be a lot more teams in this World Cup, and a lot more teams in Afghanistan yeah. could theoretically yeah, yeah, beat, yeah. but they are so far back in It'd the pack. It'd be quite a long World Cup then, wouldn't it, if everybody plays everybody and there's more teams. Ah, you see. Let's not have everyone play everyone, though. We had groups and so we, on. We, 
we should get on to that later. Uh, I know you've if, got things if, to say about that. It feels that, like Afghanistan are better than Bangladesh were at this stage, whatever, 15, 20 years ago. Yeah, I mean, Afghanistan made it into international cricket after like an amazing journey. Bangladesh got there after a good World Cup in 1999. Mm. Their progress to test ranks was, was a swift one and they probably weren't ready then, but Afghanistan have done it miraculously. Some wonderful writing about how they've gone from being ranked, I think it was ranked 150 or something like that at the turn of the century and now obviously... Afghanistan. The, wow. Yeah, yeah, their, their turnaround is... is uh, I mean, we've basically got stark. to thank Australia for losing to them in Dhaka for Bangladesh. Bangladesh turning it around themselves, haven't we? So, you know, if <laughs> Australia could have lost earlier to them, Bangladesh would have come that well, much pa- better. Pakistan did, Pakistan lost to Bangladesh in 99, getting them one international status. So that's... That was the game. That, that was, that, yeah, that was yeah. us. If not for so, that day, they probably wouldn't have become a test-playing nation you're then. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Since we've mentioned Bangladesh, did people watch the game against West Indies? That's actually a surprisingly hard thing to say. Uh, I thought it was a, a pretty good game in the end. Going into it, whoever won there still maintained a chance of, or retained a chance rather, of going through to the final four. I thought Bangladesh were actually favourites going in, given the way they touched up South Africa earlier in the tournament. And you mentioned Shakib Al Hassan off the top. They made one um, change to their side to, to bring in Lytton Darson. He made 94 not out off about. 50 or 60 balls or whatever it was. Shakib up the other end was able to just pinpoint with precision through the field all day long. What a cricketer. And I just love their story. I love the fact that they've came into this tournament with such modest expectations, despite the fact that they made the semi-finals of the Champions Trophy here two years ago, I should add. So we shouldn't always talk them down, but all the same, if they've got what I consider to be a bit of a free hit against Australia in a couple of days, they know if they can knock over Australia, then they're every chance of making it through to the semis. And we probably wouldn't have said that a week ago. And it was just another game where it looked like West Indies just checked out really early. I like that attitude, though. I think that's something to be said about just conserving your energy. Three overs in, just be like, you know what? This isn't going to be our day. We ain't going to win this, lads. Let's just, we've got, we get, we've, got, we've got to get through it contractually. That's what we have to. <laughs> so let's do that. But let's not, let's not do any more than that. We've mentioned James Vince, so it seems only right to bring up Jason Roy. Owen Morgan seems convinced that Jason Roy will return in this tournament. But if Roy's injury doesn't improve, England are allowed to call up a replacement from outside their squad. Of course, once that person is in, there's no going back and Roy is out for good. England does happen to know another match-winning opener with a sizzling strike rate and an armful of one-day centuries. But his name is Alex Hales. Uh, Yes, that's the same guy who was withdrawn from the squad after he failed a second drugs test and what his England captain called a complete breakdown in trust between him and the team. I can't believe I'm even suggesting this, given the massive kerfuffle he's caused. But we can't ignore the fact that if... Owen Morgan doesn't pick Alex Hales, it's probably Joe Denley. So the question is, if you were England captain, would you pick up the phone to Alex Hales? It was the Guardian newspaper, wasn't it, who broke the story? Mm. Thank you. Yes, it was. We will accept those plaudits. Snitch. <laughs> and so what, what, he, what he said was in, in the, the interview was it was a mediocre decision. He'd been making deep mediocre decisions his entire life, but he was now 30 and he wasn't 20 anymore. He wasn't going to make them anymore. And this was like three weeks before it came out that he was actually on this ban for this second failed drugs test. And you're thinking, well, that was a mediocre decision to give that interview at that time, <laughs> wasn't it? So maybe what we could do now is maybe the Guardian could give him another interview and he could then say, well, I'm now 30 and a half, you know, I made a lot of mistakes 
mistakes when I was 30, but now, now that I'm 30 and a half, I don't want to make those mistakes <laughs> I was making at 30 and see what Owen Morgan says. Oh, we need to get on the phone to Ali Martin. I was going to and... say, Ali Martin both wrote both the interview and broke the story of the drugs ban. So, you know, you, you've got the guy to go to. It's, it's the Guardian's look, look at teams who've won the World Cup before. So Australia, Pakistan, India, West Indies. What would they do? And they would call him up. So call him up. If they're going to get you over the line, maiden World Cup, just do it. Ethics be damned. Whatever. If he, if he, has he served his drugs test? He has, yes. Then what ethics then? So you don't think the fact that England made a big point about the fact that he would drag the rest of the team down and it, it would be Yeah, but then there's two weeks drafting. left in it. <laughs> But, but also, in some ways, he hadn't served his punishment then, and now he has served his punishment. Sort of justice in, has been done in that sense. The stigma that Owen was worried about arguably hasn't been there at the start of the tournament, so therefore it's unlikely to come in halfway through a tournament. And you're hoping that, that maybe the best reason for, for getting on the phone to Alex Hales is that Joe Denley would be the, the next person <laughs> to get called. It, it's I, worth noting, he wasn't actually banned, he was dropped. So they could call him up. At any there moment, go. there's nothing precluding them from doing so. Having said that, I'm more likely to get the call up than Alex Hales. I mean, they've made their decision on him, not on the basis of whether they can use him in the middle order. They made a decision based on change room, atmospherics and all the rest of it. And doing an about face now, I just can't see it happening. Should it happen? Of course it should. Will it? No chance. Yeah, but as an Australian, you, you know all about reintegrating out-of-favour players into the dressing room. Sure, yeah, but note that they came straight back the day after their ban concluded. I mean, take David Warner, who, when he was first issued with the 12 months out of the game, uh, a lot of the smart money was saying that he wouldn't play for Australia again. He'd cash in on the T20 circuit and that would be that, but they immediately reintegrated Warner and it's happy families now in Camp Australia. They've never been happier if you hear what they're saying in there at the moment. Do you believe that? Though? Not I'm, after winning three World Cups on the bounce, but now. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I mean, I'm usually perhaps the most cynical person about Team Australia and they genuinely seem happy. And then, you know, How draw your own conclusions. How can team be happy if it's got David Warner in it? Yeah, he's a complicated guy. I think there'll be some... He's the, one of the most interesting people I've ever known, really. And I think that at the end of his career, he'll have a lot more to say, but he does have an ability to bring people really close to him and by contrast people who absolutely despise him so but the people in that dressing room they've brought him straight back into the fold and and I think it helped the fact that he gave a personal apology to every single player before the World Cup I'm not sure whether that was his idea or he was advised to do it or otherwise but it seems to have worked because you, you see the way that the players are reacting about Warner and they desperately want him on their side I like Warner I hope Australia don't win the World Cup though because they don't need another one I'm not sure it would send a great signal if Australia, who've been dreadful in one-day cricket for three years, can get their act together three months before the World Cup and win the thing, uh, especially yeah, considering the dominance of India and England. In well, that considering that England have been working towards this yeah. for four years, yeah, if you guys just show up and just walk <laughs> off with it it's, it's, what, it's, it's what Pakistan do. That's yeah. what we did in yeah. the Champions Trophy. Absolutely. Actually, we were worse two years ago than we were this year mm. and somehow just went, yeah, we love that. <laughs> so I want a definitive yes or no from each of you as to whether you bring Hells back. I can tell what I would Ted's say. I, I hope Jason Roy gets fit because I really like him and I met him two weeks ago and he gave me a top of his training bag. So I, just for that reason, I hope he stays fit and I hope he wins the whole damn thing and I hope he scores a final. But if a he doesn't stay fit, you might get his whole kit bag, might you? So yeah. <laughs> well, that'll be good. He won't need any more. <laughs> Adam, would you bring back Hale? But Yes, yeah. I would bring him. Yeah, I mean, Roy's going to get back anyway because of the games they've got. They'll leave it as long as possible. But the point is is that I, I never all... would have left Hales out. I, you know, I'll go with whatever Owen Morgan decides, but I, I, I'm hoping that he, he might see a way possibly if 
in the unlikely event, in the hopefully unlikely event that we need somebody, he might get round to give him a little call, yeah, a little tinkle. And this time, maybe if Alex could be honest to him, be a much better dressing room. To those of you listening, what would you do? You can tweet me at M underscore John or email us thespin at theguardian.com. Still to come, we'll pick a new Prime Minister from the England cricket team. Did you know that the first official Women's Cricket World Cup was held in 1973, two years before the men's? Or that a whole new bowling technique came into play to get around hoop skirts? Or that the England women's team has won the World Cup twice more than the men's? That's twice! There are lots of things to love and learn about women's cricket. As a part of its push to get everyone playing cricket, NatWest has partnered with The Guardian Labs to tell more stories about the game. Follow them at theguardian.com forward slash natwest dash cricket. This message was paid for by NatWest. This is The Spin, The Guardian's cricket podcast, as classy as David Gower, as confident as Kevin Peterson and as fit as Andre Russell. There's so much going on at the moment, chaps. Let's tidy up a few issues. First, we need to say a huge congratulations to Moeen Ali and to his wife, Farutza, who gave birth to a girl, Hadia, last week. And and happy birthday to Moeen as well. Also congratulations. happy birthday. Yeah. Although, if people are listening to this tomorrow, it won't be his birthday, so... Yeah. Happy birthday But you still have a kid, so we're okay with that. Yeah. 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 He got a single day of paternity leave before he went back to training. And as we've discussed, he batted more confidently today than he has in months. So I want to know, Andy, did you experience a performance bounce after you had a child? Uh, no, I'm still suffering uh, seven years on, I think. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, no, he's done very well. And Jason Roy, of course, he didn't get any sleep before he suddenly knocked a wonderful hundred. So was it the next game after that? He had a decent night's sleep and he dropped a catch and didn't mm. play very well at all. So if, if the kid can cry a bit more, I think we're, we're in for a better game. I definitely think this is a real thing that happens with sporting dads, that they do quite often come straight back out and have this little, uh, I don't know whether it's an adrenaline high or just life has a different perspective now, you're more relaxed. Just wondering whether carrying the kid around has hurt his hamstring, and that's why Jason Roy's, uh, you know, got a few problems. <laughs> Moen actually wrote about this in his column, didn't he? He talked about how there's so many kids now uh, around the England dressing room because they've kind of grown up together as a as a group of players. A lot of them played under 19s together and have made their way through England ranks, and now they're all having babies. They're godfathers to each other's children and so forth. And his take, and others have said the same thing, is that having babies has given them a, a better perspective on where cricket sits in their life. And maybe there's something to that that when sports people have a broader focus are able to take the pressure off somewhat when it comes to the sport they play. Josh Butler, he came out and scored a century, didn't he, straight after he'd had his... And Alex Howes hasn't got any kids at all and then spends too long doing things he shouldn't be (laughs) instead instead of looking after the kids. (laughs) Moving on, as reported exclusively in The Guardian this week by our colleague Ali Martin, he's a great one for scoops, is Ali Martin, there's a chance that the World Cup final will be made free to air. The ICC and Sky are currently discussing it as a possibility. Tez, you you have been quite vocal about this subject. Do you think one match on free-to-air is enough? No, it's not enough at all. I think the whole World Cup should have been on free-to-air TV. My favourite World Cup was 1999. Uh, it was also in England. And that was, I was, I was my GCSE year then. I was 16. And I remember going home every day. And it was, you know, just the final overs of every, or like the last 15, 20 overs of every game. And catching it on the weekends, catching the full games. And it helped that Pakistan were the best team that tournament who I support. So it was great. And now I think kids who are of that age, they don't have it. And, and I've got lots of friends who 
would maybe have a passing interest in cricket if it was on BBC or even Channel 4 every single day, but they just couldn't care less. And they don't even know it's on unless one of their friends is tweeting about it. So I think it's great that the final is going to possibly be on free-to-air. It probably will be if England make it, fingers crossed. But yeah, it's, I think it's very disappointing that the whole thing isn't. But it is very good that the highlights are free-to-air. You know, they've been uh, one in, in the morning. Yeah, 11pm. Yeah. Well, no, I wasn't necessarily mean those highlights. I mean the in-play highlights. So you can always see oh, the yes. wickets on the BBC. So, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. And there have been plenty of games where that hasn't been the case. And so mm. at, at least if you're following it on the text or whatever, then you can actually see when the wickets go. You have to wait. 10 minutes which is frustrating but whatever it is I think you raise a good point about 99 that World Cup was obviously on terrestrial television we've got a culture of that in Australia that if they ever took test match cricket for example off television there all hell would break loose rightly so and I think if anything this World Cup having been all behind a paywall with the exception of the highlights at one in the morning or whatever it is on Channel 4, it might sort of focus the attention on that conversation because the last day of the Ashes in 05, the last day of terrestrial television of a test match, 10 million people watched it. Since we've never had a day of cricket in England that's had more than a million people watching at the same time. It's a systemic failure over a long period of time, which isn't to have a crack at Sky. They've done they've done amazing things for cricket, but surely they could have found a way in this global tournament with so much emphasis on growing the game in this country to have had, at the bare minimum, England's games on mm. terrestrial television to have helped support the Sky brand. If you're watching England play and you've never been exposed to cricket before, maybe you'll go out and buy their product down the track. It, it's, a, it's a no-brainer for mine. There were 550,000 people watching the England-Pakistan game on Sky and there were 4.5 million watched the England versus Scotland game in the Women's Football World Cup. There you go. On the BBC. And, and it's the same in other major sporting events which get a Guernsey on the BBC. I mean, isn't that boat race between Cambridge and Oxford on the BBC each That year? boat race. I think you'll find it's called the boat well, race. Well, you know, whatever, what, the, the, the boat race. I mean, if that gets a run on the biggest television station in the country and somehow a sport which was, you know, invented here after all, how did this happen? I mean, yeah, it's I interesting, it. isn't it? Because, yeah, the boat race probably does only last about, I can't remember, it's about 20 minutes, but they definitely seem to programme it the entire day. Also, no one cares about the boat race apart from 16 people. Is, is it because the boat, are in the boat race is cheap? Though, is, it, is that part of the problem? <laughs> Very cheap. Just to compare, the India versus Pakistan game had hundreds of millions of people watching around the world. And it was also the UK's most oversubscribed sporting event since the 2012 Olympics. Makes how, sense. How was that game for you, Ted? Terrible. <laughs> what game? <laughs> Hated it. I couldn't even... They were oh, there was a party atmosphere. I don't care about that. We were dreadful. I actually thought we bored quite well. I think restricting them to 3 and 30 or wherever it was was not a bad effort. Given how they started, I think we bowled really well in the last 10 overs. And it was chaseable. They could have done it. Just against him, this is exactly the same thing that happened against Australia. They just lost their heads at the beginning of the innings and then just couldn't get it back. Which is weird given that England are the best team in the world and, we knocked the, and we've knocked like 350 plus scores against them like consecutively over the last couple of months. And we, can't, we just can't seem to repeat that against any other team. It's weird. It was it's a shame, strange. wasn't it, that after all the hype, it really didn't turn out to be a particularly um, kind of close game. And there was a no. lot more sort of social media storm and interest about Pakistan eating at a shisha restaurant yeah, a couple just, of days before the game. And that is not the reason they lost. <laughs> Isn't it the thing with rivalries, though, that the bigger team in the relationship, and in a World Cup context, it's India, more broadly in ODIs, it's Pakistan, but let's deal with the World Cup, which has been a massive uh, you know, talking point that Pakistan have never defeated India in this competition. Mickey Arthur, the Pakistan coach, said, if you win, it'll be the biggest day of your lives. You'll never experience anything like it ever again in the sport. Farrakh Kohli said to them, no, no, it's just another game. And I wonder whether that 
influenced the final result. The broader day itself was incredible. I've never been to a game quite like it. Out the front beforehand, the, the bloke that came in on a horse, I don't mm. know if you saw that. The open top bus of Pakistani fans, it was something else. The fact that they could have sold out that game 32 times, they had 800,000 ticket applications to attend Old Trafford on Sunday. You look back at 99 again, when India were playing games at Hove and at, and at Bristol with four or 5,000 capacity, it, it says a fair bit about the way that the South Asian community have embraced cricket in England over the last 20 years. It's the spin! In the last episode, our guests nominated their players of the tournament so far, and it left an unspoken question, which is who's not living up to their star billing? Who needs to step up their game in the second half of the competition? Whose report card currently says could do better? Guests, I'd like you each to nominate a player. Let's start with you, Adam. I reckon I might be the first of many to say Chris Gale. He's on a farewell lap, isn't he? It's not a bad one, coming to the World Cup, earning a stack of money uh, before you finish up in international cricket. Sure, he made runs against England in the bilateral series in January, I think it was, so he deserved his spot, but he's entertaining. And he is an entertainer, but the way that he was playing with the crowd down in Southampton against England, I understand it. The game was over as far as the contest was concerned, but to me, it sort of spoke to that kind of broader idea of him here saying goodbye. He's one of only two players in the tournament who are still playing in the 90s, would you believe? Shah Malik's the other. But um, Gale is well short of runs. He made a 13 ball duck yesterday. He's not the player he used to be. And with the windy so far behind the eight ball, I wonder whether they will consider getting rid of him in this run where they need to win every game to make it through. Not just him, also Andre Russell. He's got one leg. He hasn't got really a leg. Both of his knees are stuffed now. So he seems to just ideal. fall over every time he tries to bowl a short ball. What, what I was interested with Andre Russell in Southampton was that he bowled from one end, was obviously struggling with his legs, you know, from that end. So they said, "Well, we'll move him to the other end, and his legs may well appear to be better." <laughs> <laughs> And he's not making very good decisions when it comes to batting either. He's just hoiking at things when he has no right to. Yeah, Andre Russell blew the game for them against Australia. They could have walked that. They could, and they should have walked it, but he took on Mitchell Stark. He fell. They collapsed after that. If they beat in their first couple of games Pakistan and Australia, completely different tournament, but choking really, that's what they did. And Russell is largely to blame for it. Tez, I, I know that you have said that you you don't massively rate Chris Gell right now I mean, anyway, so he's probably not someone you're disappointed he's, he's got, by. He's great in that. If you give him a flat track and Indian domestic bowlers, then he will smack it around for 200-odd. But I think the high end of the international game, away from home in England or the Australia maybe, he just, I don't know, I don't think he's cuts, he doesn't cut it consistently. So is there anybody you're more disappointed Oh, by yeah, the Pakistani time? openers, who I think have done fine, but fine doesn't cut it in the World Cup. They've made, like, you know, fancy 26s and nice 30s. Fakha was going well yesterday against India, but they've just... They've got an amazing record, those two. I think they, I think they're the fastest to a thousand runs or whatever it was in the least amount of innings, number one and number two. So they just haven't performed, and I hope that they step you up because we can get to the semi-finals, but it means winning every single game from now on and having a bit of luck along the way. So it's out of our hands, but yeah, those two need to step up. Yeah, they really do. I feel like Fakhar had a actually much better series against England than than he did a run in this. He's a good player, and he likes playing in England. Andy, who, who's letting you down, letting well, the side down? To me, I, w- I was quite happy, but uh, James Vince has definitely let me down. Just He's only bit, played once. I know, and that, he let me down with that. <laughs> and arguably, he let me down by being in the squad. 
Um, so, but what I'm hoping is... I hope his family doesn't listen to this podcast. <laughs> he, uh, what I'm hoping is he's going to get another game, isn't he? He's going to get another game and then Jason Roy's going to come back in and hopefully Jason will be absolutely fine. But hopefully just having another look at him now means that he's out of the ashes and Jason Roy can come in for the ashes having rested his hamstring and that would be absolutely fine. So he's been the one... Because you did say who's not lived up to their star billing and I, nobody's ever suggested that James Vince has ever had star billing, I don't think. That's true. What about Adil Rashid, though? He... Well, his problem is, I think Andrew Rashid's problem is, is he's got this bad shoulder, isn't he? He's got the bad shoulder. What he needs to do is to move it the bad shoulder down to the bad back, see whatever specialist Owen Morgan's seen, and then he's going to be absolutely fine, <laughs> isn't he? Well, they could just move him to the other end like Andre Russell, see how that goes. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was going to nominate Glenn Maxwell just for the joy no. of watching Adam take no. me down in flames. <laughs> I know how much Adam and Jeff Lemon love the man, but um, he hasn't taken any wickets and his last scores have been four not out, zero, 28, 20. That's a pretty and poor. 46 not out of uh, yeah, 20 I, I balls mean, a couple that, of days ago. Yeah, be fair that to the man. And none for 46 off 10 in, as the fifth bowler against Sri Lanka. Let's so he's had one good game. Yeah, but he's playing a role, isn't he? That's modern cricket. When you get sent in to try and elevate it up the order in the final 10 overs to try and propel a score from what would have otherwise been 320, like it was against Pakistan, to 360, it's going to come off or, or it's not going to come off, much as it does with Butler. You, you can't expect players like that to deliver every time. So as for Maxwell's broader role as the all-rounder, they're not playing a spinner at the moment in Australia. So maybe very well be like it was in 2015 that Maxwell has to get through 10 overs more often than not with his off spin so I think that might be more the talking point than his batting don't worry about Glenn with the bat he's fine <laughs> and, and do you love him just as a player or do you love him as a person I, I think the affection that I have for Glenn transcends cricket and probably transcends, uh, you know, most things. He, he's someone we've invested in heavily over the last few years. Do, do you have a little picture of him? Let's say he's not in a room when you'd like him to be in a room. Do you have like a little picture of him maybe? Yeah, yeah. Well, sweating in his whites. Uh, I've like been looking at Athers as we go through the course. It's not a bad shout for our podcast. We do have merchandise for our podcast with Glenn Maxwell on it. Um, so, you know, oh, this is your Maxwell for, Maxwell Maxwell for, for Australia. Australia. Yeah, it's the, it's the Butler for America for West Wing fans. And yeah. we, we, it's, it's a bit of a play on that from an idea I had about five years ago. And well, you know, it, it's, it's still gaining traction at least. At least he's back in the, the two white ball forms of the game. He's not quite back in the test side, but in due course. So talking of politics, Imran Khan led Pakistan to World Cup victory in 1992 and skip to the end, he's now Prime Minister. This, <laughs> nothing this, happened in between. Nothing when happened Maxwell between. can be Prime Minister, I right, got it. Yeah. This has got me thinking, we have a vacancy at the top of the British government and England could well win this World Cup. You can see where I'm going here. Which member of the England team would make the best Prime Minister? Andy, have you any thoughts on this? Yes, I, I certainly have. I think Owen Morgan would be absolutely fabulous. I mean, obviously, the next Prime Minister needs to sort out Brexit. And what better man to sort out the Irish backstop than somebody who's, I believe, got an English mother, his Irish father. So, you know, Irish, but with a dual passport. I mean, I think it's going to be absolutely fantastic. And during the, the negotiations, if it wasn't going well... You know, just, just, pretend... put, just put Butler there, isn't it, as the backstop? Well, that, that, that Johnny Bairstow behind him, but yeah. preferably be with gloves on without dropping those balls. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, no, I think you just pretend you have a bad back, walk out, say, oh, sorry, I, you know, I've had a back spasm on these negotiations. I'll be back in 48 hours and he'll, he'll create more deals than anybody's ever created before <laughs> in the history of the game. Oh, my goodness, I'm just fantasising about the idea of the calm, cool leadership of Owen Morgan during this horrendous period of British when, politics. I met Owen Morgan, Jason Roy and uh, Johnny Bairstow before the World Cup. And uh, did Owen Morgan give you a top? No, but he's very what nice though. He was my, he was my favourite. And I asked them who was going to be the next England captain and they all said Butler. 
So I don't really know Butler that well, but there must be something in that. So you think he could be Prime Minister? Yeah. Also, though, what I really like is Moin Ali, because I think that would be hilarious just for the trolling. <laughs> the just, trolling just of or of by? Oh, just both. <laughs> both. I think this, that just watching that spectacle would be amazing. Just, just how happy and equally how sad some people would be. <laughs> Adam, what about you? I think Liam Plunkett is the one that most looks like a politician. Um, you know, is, is that chiselled jaw is very telegenic. I think that he's the sort of guy you, who instills faith in, in me anyway. So I, I'd go with Liam Plunkett because he would he would be strong and, and sturdy uh, in terms of what he would do at the negotiating table. Well, as long as he's not strong and stable. Yes, well, it's, he, it's an advance. It's still alliterative anyway. He'd be very poor at the start of the negotiations and the end of the negotiations, but those middle bits <laughs> of the negotiations would <laughs> be brilliant. And that's I think is where we're going to leave you and I have to say goodbye to my guests thanks for watching the cricket with us this afternoon even if it was just that last ball that Joffre just thumped into it Graham uh, goodbye to Adam Collins Andy Parsons and Tez Ilias next time comedian Charlie Baker returns to first team action and we'll have all the reaction to England's game against Sri Lanka to make sure you don't miss that or any of the episodes to come hit subscribe wherever you get your podcasts see you next time <laughs> The Spin is supported by NatWest. To find out about how NatWest is making it easier for everyone to get involved in cricket, search NatWest Cricket.